Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness, and thanks for listening. This is a show designed to celebrate the greatness inside everyday people. So grab a drink, kick your feet up, and settle in. Before I start today, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of Australia. I think honouring Indigenous Australians is more important than just reading from a generic, impersonal script. So I'd like to honour our traditional owners from the heart. I love being an Australian. So I'd like to honour those who came before us, those who share their land with us today, and those who follow us. As a white Australian, I'm flat out embarrassed at some of the things that have happened in this country in the past. So I'd like to acknowledge that I feel terrible for any pain that's been caused. But I'd also like to acknowledge how beautiful Australian Aboriginal culture, your past, your place in today's world, and your future are. Thank you for sharing your country with us. Before I start our interviews today, I'd like to thank our episode sponsor, Chemism. Chemism is an online platform that empowers people with disability and gives them the opportunity to achieve self-employment Everyday Greatness is proud to be the first case Chemism has taken on board. And I'd like to personally thank Eugene Chong at Chemism, who has introduced us to Cam from Marketing Temps, Fabrizio from Facet Digital, who are handling all of our digital marketing needs for season four. So thank you, Chemism, Marketing Temps, and Facet Digital. There are some people in the world who are great simply because they put others before themselves and expect nothing in return. The old adage, do unto others as you would have do unto you, is often muttered in the same breath as nice guys always finish last and the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Thankfully, though, there are some people around who just keep being nice despite there being plenty of those squeaky wheels around the world. And they won't try and bring people down to try and get themselves ahead. People like this don't go looking for greatness, but it's that humility that makes them great. Sometimes nice guys do finish first. People in the world who chase greatness above all else often take shortcuts on things they think is unnecessary. And some of the first things that fall are humility and human decency. But those people who focus on humility and don't give a rat's ass about people who, whether people regard them as great, often greatness finds them without them chasing it. One of those people is my guest today, Selena Edmonds. When I asked Selena to be a guest on Everyday Greatness, she said, I'm just a producer. She's a producer for, a producer for Naz Campanella, the ABC's disability affairs correspondent. So Naz said, you don't want me. Do you want me to ask Naz for you? 
And I, I told Selena that is exactly why I wanted to speak to her. Selena doesn't think her story is that interesting. But it's that humility and modesty that makes Selena great. By not chasing greatness, greatness has become her. And I'd like to welcome Selena to Everyday Greatness. Selena, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Barnaby. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> so as well as being the producer for Naz Campanella, you also read the news at the ABC. What's more nerve-wracking, reading the news live on national television or supporting the ABC's disability affairs correspondent around the building? Well, they're two very different roles, but they each share a great deal of responsibility. But I think Naz would probably tell you if she was here that on various occasions I'm not very good at uh, <laughs> assisting her to get around that building. She does it very well herself, but we have had some very funny times together over our last um, 12 um 14 months that we've been working together where we uh, we will share a laugh and share a giggle uh, because, uh, as she will joke, um, you know, I've tried to put her in front of a tram or, um, you know, put her, put her down a ditch or uh, whack her into a pole without realising and I'm there going, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I've done it again. So, look, um, it's, uh, it's always, you know, Day-to-day -day, uh, working with Naz is, is different every day and um, the news, when I read the news, it's very different every day. They're, they're, they're both got their challenges and I think you just embrace those um, as, as they happen and as, as they occur. But my work with Naz is it's something that is very special. Uh, it took me completely by surprise and um, it's just made um, my working life terribly rewarding. Just tell us who Naz Campanella is and what makes her such a special human being. Naz Campanella is the ABC's disability affairs uh, reporter, national reporter. Uh, she uh, works in the same team that I do, the specialist reporting team at the ABC, which consists of reporters like Indigenous Affairs, Medical, Science, Education, and she's special because she uh, is a journalist with lived experience. She lives with disability. She is blind and she also has another disability called CMT, uh, which is a degenerative nerve disease. And that means that Naz can't read Braille, but neither of Naz's disabilities um, have held her back. She's extraordinary. I think she's one of the most extraordinary people that I've ever met. And it just means that she's incredibly driven. She works terribly hard. My nickname for her is Naz Machine because she really does work like a machine. And um, she just uh, is, is quite an extraordinary reporter because of her lived experience. And I think she can relate to people with disability. She knows uh, what their lives are like. She understands the disability sector. She understands the disability community. She has a unique connection and she reports from that position of lived experience. So it is really a unique way of reporting and uh, I've learnt an enormous amount from her. What do you practically do as NASA's producer? What's your day-to-day -day role involve? 
I probably do for Naz exactly what Dion, who's working behind the scenes uh, with, with you today, I, I support Naz in what she does. Um, it, it's a very varied role and it's much more um, uh, in terms of producing probably more hands-on uh, than uh, many producers would be. But we work extremely collaboratively and there's an enormous amount of trust involved in our relationship. So luckily, when we first met, which we only met in August of uh, last year, when we first met, um, Naz, uh, of course, had already an, a tremendous career um, working for the ABC. And she had been, of course, everyone knows her from Triple J uh, and her news reading role there. But she'd also, of course, come right through the ABC cadetship program. But at the time that I met Naz in August of last year, she'd done a little bit of television, but not terribly much. And so we both sat down together first time we've met and she basically said to me, I want you to teach me everything you know about television. And I've worked in television for a very long time now. And it, it we, we struck up a rapport that I think, um, I like to think it's unique. I like to think the trust we have between each other is quite, something that's quite special. And uh, she trusts me with um, my advice to her about images that we might use for digital stories. Um, when we're out on a shoot, I'm, I'm often describing to her the surroundings, uh, talking to her about the person that we might be interviewing. Um, giving her, if, if we're going into the studio to talk to Fernaz to do a live cross to a presenter, I'll tell her what that presenter is wearing today. I'll say, oh, they're wearing a great red shirt or their hair looks really nice today. And I, I give her information to help her have a real sense of what is ha what is going on um, in terms of visually. So I guess in some ways I, I act as her eyes and I try to make sure that if we have a digital story going up online that Naz knows very clearly what the images are that we are using. And not only that, that then brings us to decisions that we make about the portrayal of people and making sure that people with disability are at the front and centre of our stories. And that's been Naz's mission. That's, that's why she wanted to be the ABC's disability affairs reporter, to report about people with disability in a way that hadn't really been done before, not in a determined way. And so um, they, they're the ways that I... Um, support Naz to, to do her role. And I regard my role as, um, you know, she is a superstar and I just regard my role as supporting her to further be that superstar and to achieve those dreams that she's had of working in television. Beautifully said. Reading the news on national television would seem to a lot of people like a position that's pretty close to the top of the tree in the media. How did you end up being a producer for another reporter? Yeah, it's a good question. So um, I started off in journalism at a, a, a country newspaper in Bathurst at the daily newspaper there, the Western Advocate, as a cadet reporter. And I wasn't really sure whether I wanted to work in television, but the local TV station in Orange approached me after um, they had a vacancy and asked me whether I'd like to come and audition. And that was really the start of my 
television career. And that's 30 years ago now that I began uh, working in television at uh, Prime Television in Orange at the time. So TV is something I know really well and it's given me some wonderful opportunities as a reporter and also as a presenter. It gave me the opportunity that whilst I was raising my family to have steady working hours, which as you know, working in the media is something that's very unusual. And as a presenter, I was able to know what time I started and what time I needed to finish. And that was of great advantage to me, um, raising uh, three children with my husband. And I really relied on the presenting to be able to keep working in the media and to raise my family. But over the years, I've been both a presenter and an out-on-the-road reporter and been really fortunate to have worked not just for the ABC, and this is my second time working at the ABC, but I first worked for the ABC back in the 1990s from 95 through to 2000, and I read the news, the late news then after Indira and I do uh, departed the ABC. And then I went on to work at Channel 10 and then I went on to work at Sky News, both as a presenter and a reporter out in the field, before then coming to, to the ABC. And I came back to the ABC as a casual presenter with the ABC's news channel. And it was whilst I was doing that and I'd, I'd taken a bit of a break in between um, leaving Sky News and then coming to the ABC uh, to help my son through the HSC and I, I wasn't actually really sure how much more I wanted or had the capacity to work in the media because it is very demanding. It, it can, it, it's an industry where people burn out and I felt very burnt out after I left Sky News. So... When I came to the ABC and I've been working casually as a news presenter, I then thought, well, I'm really enjoying this and I don't know if I want to go take that path like so many of my colleagues and move into public relations. I think I'll try and get some more work here and I ended up working um, on the network desk, um, assisting to pull uh, network stories and um, and uh, uh, making decisions and uh, signing off on pieces that were coming in for the network to run. And then there was an opening at the specialist reporting team and I applied for that and I got it and I started to work with um, reporters like our medical reporter and also our rural affairs reporter at the time and then I was asked to work with NAS. So really I kind of fell into producing for NAS. It was a very lucky fall but I was asked to um, work with her and then a permanent role came up and I applied. She asked me to apply, which was really nice, and, uh, and I got it. And um, so that's that's how come I've, I've I've come to be in the position uh, that I that I am now uh, in in producing for Naz. Beautiful. So in your time in the media, which I'm not saying this derogatorily, but it, it seems like a long time. It's a long time. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a you long must time. have seen some incredible guests in your time at the ABC. Who are some of the more memorable people you've met and interviewed? Yes, yeah, so uh, in all of my um, places that I've worked, I've been really lucky to meet some incredible people and uh, report on some in- incredible events. I think in many ways, Barnaby, actually the title of your podcast rings very true for me in terms of everyday greatness because 
the most memorable interviews and people that I've met over my 31 years working in the media have been everyday people, I have to say. They are not famous faces as such. And I have I've met famous faces. I've I went to afternoon tea with Prince Charles and and Camilla one time after uh, following them around on the royal tour. I was part of the the invited press to go and uh, and join them for afternoon tea and meet them and have a chat, which was fantastic. I've sat uh, at the same table as Aung San Suu Kyi uh, for a lunch, uh, which was hosted in her honour. So I've been really, really fortunate to meet some remarkable people and be in some remarkable situations with famous people. I think the interviews uh, that I've done that have really stuck with me have been um, covering events like the London Paralympics. I got to travel um, for Sky News uh, in 2012 to London and cover the Paralympics and that was an incredible experience for me and it uh, changed many of my attitudes, um, preconceived ideas um, surrounding athletes with disability. Uh, I've also been um, at some terrible um, stories uh, such as the the earthquakes in New Zealand and sent to cover those. And it, um, I think the, the people you meet that at a time that is so challenging for them. They might be grieving, uh, in shock, um, and when they come out with a cup of tea for you because you've been standing outside their house for the last six hours doing live crosses and offer you something to eat and, and they're, the, they're the people that you remember um, because they, they show you kindness at a, a time when they're suffering. And I think those are the kind of interviews that have have always, and those people uh, that have always um, stayed with me, and that I'll remember um, as you know, as well as the famous faces, they're just as important to me. That's beautifully said. And say good day to Prince Chuck when you see him for me next. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Let me ask you a couple of questions about Selena Edmonds, the real human human being. When you're brushing your teeth at night. Do you look at yourself in the mirror and think, you know what, I'm a pretty bloody good person? Oh, gosh, I hope not, Barnaby. Do people do that? They like, like, Really? Um, no, I, I, I certainly don't. I, I try to be, uh, I think we all try, don't we? I hope we all do. I hope we all try to be the best people that we can. But, no, I certainly do not. And I have plenty of faults, my family would tell you, that I'm can be messy and uh, um, short-tempered. Um, I'm sure work colleagues would tell you that I I I, I lack patience. <laughs> uh, no, I certainly don't brush my teeth and think that. I think I have uh, plenty of faults, like everyone else out there. Um, I think as I grow older, and I'm I turned fifty this year which was a bit of a shock, I have to say, and I wasn't quite sure how to approach turning 50 because I don't feel 50. But um, I think as I get older I am, um, I, I like to think that I am becoming more patient and more kind and um, a better work colleague. I think working in the media, particularly in my younger years, I was 
fiercely ambitious and uh, one of those at all costs and I'd, you know, work day and night and be terribly driven. Um, having my family has been the best thing that I've ever done because it it took away that uh, I had to focus on other people and uh, not just be about myself. I'm an only child, so I don't know whether uh, that has kind of um, fed into that um, being very like worrying about myself. But having my my fam, my wonderful husband and three fantastic kids um, was the best thing that ever happened to me in terms of thinking about someone else other than myself. Because I was a very fortunate upbringing with two parents that loved me dearly, continued to love me dearly, but certainly having a family um, broadened that horizon and made me realise that there were other people that I needed to focus on as well, particularly as my children have reached their teenage years. Beautifully said. I have to ask you a couple of ABC questions before we go. <laughs> okay. Who's your favourite news presenter on ABC News? Well, you could get me in a lot of trouble here, couldn't you? You really could. Um, Do you know when when I first came to the ABC, um, Richard Moorcroft um, was the newsreader uh, in Sydney and he was just a fantastic gentleman and a great person to to work with. And I think, um, look, uh, Juanita Phillips is just fabulous. Uh, I have so much respect for her. Jeremy Fernandez, I think, has a really unique way of presenting a beautiful voice, a real connection to people. So he's also uh, definitely one of my favourites up right up there. But you could get me in a whole lot of trouble. We're very lucky at the ABC to have so many good communicators. Uh, Gemma Vaness, who I worked with at Sky News, is is a really fantastic presenter as well. I think um, we are very lucky to have professional people, and uh, and they make um, they make us all look good. Uh, and I I think uh, they they bring their own unique characteristics. And I like that's one of the other things I like about the ABC is that the presenters. They're not all the same. They're, they're all unique. They all have their own way of of uh, presenting the news, doing interviews and uh, communicating to our audiences. Bad luck, Joe and Roz. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> see, see how you knew, I knew you'd pick me up, <laughs> who are all fabulous. <laughs> One last question before we go, Selena. What is your favourite show on the ABC of all time? Gardening Australia. In fact, um, I I have ambitions to go and work and be Costa's producer. Naz doesn't know this. She's going to get a shock when she she hears this. But, um, yeah, I I love Gardening Australia. And I've always actually uh, loved the program since the very first time that I worked at the ABC where I joined the ABC in Hobart um, for ABC TV and Gardening Australia at that time was done out of Tasmania and um, it uh, the, the crew of Gardening Australia and, and the, the host was in, in Hobart and I loved the program from then and I still love the program. So Gardening Australia for me is, is my favourite ABC program. <laughs> with Selena Edmonds. 
I am so privileged that you shared your story with us and it very much is worth telling and I, I know your modesty and your graciousness would think otherwise, but I'm, I feel privileged that you shared it with us on Everyday Greatness. So thank you for joining me. Well, thank you very much for asking me, Barnaby, and uh, it was a privilege to, to talk to you. People who are considered great are great simply because they put others before themselves and expect nothing in return. They do unto others as they would have others do unto them. In the same breath as people mutter that sentence, though, people also say that nice guys finish last and the squeaky wheel always gets the oil. Thankfully, though, there are some people around who keep being nice despite plenty of those squeaky reels operating around the earth. And they don't try to bring people down to get ahead at the drop of a hat. These kind of people don't go looking for greatness, but it's exactly that humility that makes them great. Sometimes nice guys do finish first. If you're labelled a character, that usually means you're either under 10 years of age or you're an immature goofball. My next guest, Victorian nurse Karis Gelmi, is no immature goofball and she's way older than 10. But Karis is an out-and-out character. Karis is adventurous, free-spirited and pretty funny. She's also kind, compassionate and has a caring side. Karish tries to help humanity wherever she can. During this COVID pandemic, Karis has nursed COVID positive patients despite fearing for her own life. She's a clinical nurse at a major hospital in Melbourne and she's also a community nurse. Karis may be a character, but the world is a much better place because Karis Gelmi is in it. Karis, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thanks, Barn. That was really lovely. <laughs> so you are a nurse in Victoria. That must have been a pretty stressful time during the coronavirus pandemic and all the cases down there. But you've just had a couple of relaxing weeks away. How did that happen? <laughs> um, I was a, a close contact to a COVID positive person. And um, so I had to, I had to isolate at home for two weeks. Um, but uh because I'm doing a lot of community nursing at the moment where we're doing health monitor calls to high risk patients to try and keep them at home and, and out of the hospital. Um, so they work, sent me a laptop and a phone and I, I worked from home for two weeks. So that was nice. Sounds very nice and cushy. Have you ever wanted <laughs> to be a somebody or are you happy just existing in your own skin? I've never wanted to be a somebody. I'm, I'm very happy just living in the shadows and <laughs> plodding along. Being a nurse during this global pandemic must be scary. How hard was it to get motivated to go to work when you were looking after COVID positive patients? Um, so I actively tried my best not to think about it because if I thought too much about it, um, I'd sort of go into a bit of a panic. Um, it was very, very anxiety provoking. And there were a lot of moments where, um, you know, like you'd, you'd be anxious and you'd want to be tested and you'd, you'd want to be careful. And, um, 
yeah, it was, it was really hard, but, um, I had a, a really good team of nurses that I worked with and I absolutely looked forward to seeing them every day. I never wanted to let them down. Um, and you know, being part of that team is really what got me to work. I think every day. It sounds very, very impressive. Tell me how you felt with the global response to coronavirus when you compare it to the Spanish flu or the plague. Are you impressed or are you disappointed? Um, I think there's a lot of really beautiful things that have come out of it. Um, I mean, people like in, in lockdown are appreciating just going to a park um, and, and just, you know, sitting in the sun and, and just being together, which I think is really lovely. Um, I, I see people, you know, wearing their masks and, and trying to keep everybody else safe, which I think is really heartwarming. Um, but then I guess there's also the flip side of that. You see people like um, protesting and and trying to have lockdown ended and, and things. Um, and I, I really feel like that comes from a place of selfishness, um, which makes me feel very sad. But, um, you know, it, it is hard and I do understand that. Um, but yeah, I think there's beautiful. there's goods and bads that have come out of it. <laughs> very beautifully said. You are a very different cat, Karis. Does the world take itself too seriously these days? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I think the people that I spend my time with are people that don't take themselves too seriously. So um, that's important to me. Um, and... The rest I, I try not to engage with because, um, I mean, if I invite that sort of thing into my life, then then it becomes a part of my life and I don't really want that. So I just Very focus well on the, the good things that I have and the good people I know. <laughs> Very well said. When most people walk the Kokoda track in Papua New Guinea, they do it for deep emotional reasons or have some deep family connection that drives them. You have walked the Kokoda track in 2015. Why did you decide to walk it? I decided to walk it because a friend of mine said, hey, Karis, want to do the Kokoda track with me? And I said, sure. <laughs> that was it. Um, I, I really enjoyed it, though. Like I enjoyed learning about the history um, and the walk was incredibly hard and it really gave me a, a really deep appreciation for what people went through. But I had never considered any of that before walking it. <laughs> And what did the Kokoda track teach you about the kindness of strangers and the goodness of humanity? Learning about the like the fuzzy wuzzies um, and their role in in that part of the war, um, that was incredibly beautiful. I thought because they, you know, like their country had been invaded, um, and they were supporting people who were fighting on their land. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I always thought that was really admirable and, and really lovely. Um, but I mean, otherwise, like, you know, I, I, I saw people helping each other along and um, supporting each other emotionally and, and you know, with compliments and, and things like that. And um, it's not anything that I haven't seen before, but it's always such a lovely thing to be around and, and to be involved in. And yeah. Very true. Do you think you need to be hugely inspirational or generous to make a mark on the world or can the accumulation of small goodness change the world you live in? I think the accumulation of small goodness can make big, big changes, big differences. Um, even like 
Um, so making the health monitor calls to people who are at home who are sick with COVID, um, a lot of them feel really reassured um, because we check in with them once or twice a day. We make sure that they've got everything that they need. Um, and it's, you know, it's not a big part of our day to do that, but um, to hear the relief in their voices and to, you know, to know that they feel supported um, and that they feel comfortable being at home and, and that they know that they can get through this. Um, I mean, that's a, it's, it makes a huge difference to them. And I think all of those small acts together, um, yeah, I think it's, it's been really, really nice, really lovely. I apologise to every other guest I've had on this show. I think that was the best answer I've ever heard. When you were a kid, <laughs> when you were a kid, who did you look at as the kind of person you wanted to model your own life on? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Um, Apologies to you then, Karis. Maybe that was the, the Power worst Rangers. Answer. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to you, Karis. That was the worst answer I've ever heard. <laughs> so yep. who do you look up to today? It's not something I've some- thought about. <laughs> Who do you look up to today as somebody who seems to have it all together? Um, so at the moment, I'm, I really admire Jamila Jamil. She's an actress um, over in the US. She's originally from the UK. Um, she has a podcast as well, which I listen to. Um, and she spreads a really beautiful message of like self-acceptance and just accepting everybody else around you for who they are and, um, for, you know, um, the importance of emotional vulnerability and, you know, feeling connected and having support systems and having a, like a positive, you know, focus on your own mental health and the mental health of those around you. And, um, I think that's a really beautiful message that she spreads and, um, definitely something that I, I admire and, and look up to. You also seem to have a soft spot for old people. Where did that passion come from? Um, I spent a lot of time with my nana when I was growing up. Um, both of my parents worked full time and um, I've always been very close with my nana. She always wanted to have a daughter, but instead she had four boys. Um, so we've, we've always had a really um, close relationship. And um, I guess, I don't know, like there's like the little funny things that older people do I've always thought were great because I've always been around it and I've always appreciated that in them like the the funny little things that they get angry about and um I don't know like the stories that they tell from their life because they've all lived such long lives and have so many experiences to share and yeah so how did it make you feel was it heart-wrenching seeing coronavirus rip through the nursing homes in Victoria last year uh, yeah, it was a little bit. There was, um, in particular, one of the patients that I was seeing in the community, um, his wife was in a nursing home and she passed away not that long ago. And, um, throughout the, um, the first or the second COVID lockdown, sorry, um, they weren't allowing visitors at, um, at her nursing home. So he would go, and he'd stand outside her window and talk to her through the window, which I thought was just incredibly beautiful. But, um, yeah, when she became sick um, because there were still COVID um, isolations going around, um, he wasn't allowed to go in and see her as much. And then when she passed away, like, 
I was really sad. Like he was very devastated. And I think that was sort of the experience that we had on the ward in the hospital was um, people die in a very isolated way. And it's really just very, very heart wrenching, very upsetting. It is tough. You also rehome greyhounds. Is there any living thing you don't love? Snakes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like snakes. (laughs) Feel sorry for snakes. You would have had some patients in hospital during COVID that came in looking like they wouldn't make it. But thanks to your care and that accumulation of small things, they walked out okay. Are there any stories that inspired you more than others? Um, there was, um, I guess there was, a, there was an older man that we looked after and he was relatively well, um, but because of his age and his comorbidities, he was a high risk sort of a patient. So we kept him in hospital and in order for him to get home, he had to have a negative, like two consecutive negative COVID tests. And it took such a long time for him to get there and, he cried every day. He would just missed his family so much. He couldn't see them. All he could do was talk to them on the phone and he was so sad. And um, by the time he ended up, um, he had his two COVID negative tests. He went home and it was just, just made everyone, like all of us feel so happy because we'd all spent so much time with him, um, you know, just trying to get him through. And setting him up with FaceTime calls with his family so that he could see them at least. Um, but, yeah, when he got home, that was just so beautiful. It was, so, it was something that we all sort of reveled in, we all loved. Very cool. You must get a lot of stories that go the other way, though, and have sad endings. Is it worth being a nurse when you see tragedy as often as you do? Um, I think so. Um, I think that being able to bring someone comfort in the you know the most you know the most important time of need I guess um there's something really special about that and um it's you know it's always really sad but also like knowing that they were comfortable knowing that they were surrounded by people that cared about them um I think that that's just it's it's a gift it's such a beautiful thing that you can give to somebody um, and yeah, I've always, I've always sort of felt honored that people would let me look after them when, when they were in that sort of way. Very nice. Now you are a ridiculously kind person and you see the world in black and white, good and bad, but let's, let me ask you what would happen if you were put into a situation that's a bit gray, what would you do if you saw somebody come into the hospital, but you knew they'd done something horrible? and they had an injury, would you treat them as you would anyone else or would you accidentally drop a scalpel on their stomach? Um, I've actually been in a situation. Um, we we take care of prisoners at work <laughs> um, and I've had to look after people who I, I've, I knew what they did. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's my job to provide care. Um, I think that it can feel very conflicting um and you know it kind of yeah it's a it's a really tricky position to be put in but um i've always done my job um at the end of the day i'm um i i guess i stick to the rules and i i follow through and 
that's part of what makes me a good nurse and a good person. Um, but you know, like, yeah, it can, it can feel pretty icky. It can feel pretty conflicting. So you would help prisoners. You love greyhounds. You love old people. What do you personally get out of being so kind? Um, I don't know. I guess, um, like seeing the positivity spread and, um, seeing other people, especially when people come in, um, and they're, you know, they're angry because, um, like a, a need hasn't been met or, you know, whatever. Um, and talking to them and coming to an understanding and, you know, everything calming down. And, um, I guess it creates an environment that I want to be in. Um, it, you know, people, feel better, people feel positive, people feel like they're being listened to, like they're being cared for and and they feel happy and, and just being around that makes me feel happy. So um, I guess that's, you know, the reward. <laughs> Very nice. It's been sensational and unique talking to somebody who's just proud and happy to be a everyday human being and it's very nice to hear. So thank you for joining me on Everyday Greatness. No, thanks, Mom. It's been lovely talking to you too. <laughs> thank you, Karis, and thank you, Selena, for joining me. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the ARA Group for being our major sponsor for the fourth year in a row. Thank you to Chemism for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. And I hope when you put your device down later on, you lift your head up, push your shoulders back, and walk down the street proud of being an everyday Joe Bag of Donuts. I hope you can listen to Everyday Greatness next week where I'll be talking to two wise people who are just trying to set a good example and be good people. Maths tutor, loyal wife and caring mother, Renu Randev and former school principal, Philip Ledlin. If you want to find out more about this show, go to our website at everydaygreatness.com.au or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube or LinkedIn. Thank you again for listening today.